Hello and welcome to the first episode of a new chat show called Dial F for Flanger. Uh, I'm Paul, sometimes known as Flanger, and um, I'm taking the opportunity to talk to different people. And today on the show I have uh, two Australian writers um, who, they've just broken into comics and they're going to tell everyone how to do it and follow exactly the same steps that they did, and you two will be in comics. So yeah, that's exciting. So I'm joined by Dave Walker and Robert McKenzie. So uh Dave, Robert, how did you meet, and what is the nature of your friendship? Uh, how the did we nature meet? nature of our friendship is concerning. That's a worrying question. <laughs> I'll take part one, and you can take part two. Oh, fine. All right. All right. So when we met, I was dressed like the devil, and Robert was my attorney. Uh, we met at an all-day role-playing LARP, uh, and it was called The Trial of Lucifer, and I was the aforementioned Lucifer. And by the end of the day, he'd entirely failed to put up an adequate defense so i burnt the court down and we went out for pizza and beer afterwards and been friends ever since so i'm going to break into that story because that in and of itself is an inaccurate no um so there's a funny story behind that story which which dave knows but i will share with the wider audience which is uh there was a girl at that thing that i was hoping to impress and so i had done an amazing degree of prep and research. I had effectively unknotted the theodicy and solved the problem of evil in the course of about six or seven super caffeinated nights. And I turned up and I'd never done a LARP and I gave it to the guy who was running it and he went through my notes and went, yeah, you can't use any of this. This is all too good. Um, <laughs> you're just going to talk for like six hours and we'll have to throw it out. And that left me with nothing. Um, fortunately, the girl who I was trying to impress got sick and didn't show up that day. Uh, and then later became my wife, which is why Dave knows her very well. But um, in the course of that, because amongst other things, she wasn't there and I had no material, I just ended up palling around with Dave and the rest of the crew who were there, and they became, you know, my closest friends. Our closest friends. A touching story of Satanism and flirting. Yeah. Yeah. Now, how long have you known each other? Oh, God. Um, 18 years. 18. Wow. Okay. You've made the leap from being, what, a comic fans, um, and when I think of you two, uh, I first became aware of you because um, a s- sort of comic Twitter can be a small place if you're lucky, and I feel like we sort of, you know, Aussies, and we sort of just found each other. Um, you tend to, you know, there's not that many Aussie uh, comic fans that I know of who are in the sort of same sort of, uh, same taste group. We've got the same sort of tastes and things. Um, and I became aware of you when you were writing uh, sort of reviews, coverage, of Lazarus issues as they're coming out, and um, I believe that's how Greg Rucker got to know you as well. Is that correct? Yes, that's right. You know, you, you said at the top of the the discussion that there'd be some talk about how to break into comics, and uh, so I, I'm always a bit circumspect about the expression "break into comics" because you print a comic, you, you're broken into comics. It's only a question of fact and degree, as it were, about how high your star can rise. And in terms of breaking into comics, our star is at the lowest ebb, I would say. I would oh, say, yeah, well, that's... you're on your way in. You, you know, you made a hole and, you know, like the hungry, hungry caterpillar, you're on your way, I'd say. No, I mean, <laughs> yeah, but I mean, you might have different end goals for, I mean, how far you want to break into comics and what you want. But yeah, so you were basically uh, writing very uh, good analysis of Lazarus. And I just want to uh, just 
say up front, I'm intimidated by you both because you always use words that um, I don't comfortably use or know. Um, you talk about philosophers that I'm not really au fait with. Uh, you... You seem very smart, and in a way that you're very comfortable with. So um, when I, I actually read your um, Compass comic that's coming out from Image, what uh, in a couple of weeks is it? Sixteenth of June. Sixteenth of June. I was reading that uh, tonight, and it's like, wow, wow. Um, they're not being all wordy. I mean, there's the first few pages are just action, <laughs> and there was no words at all. And I was going, wow, that's that's quite impressive for these two, because. <laughs> <laughs> You're bit, getting out of our own way. You seem very smart, but you tell a good story, and uh, you know it's it's not impenetrable. It's not you know I didn't have to read anything else to understand your comic and enjoy it. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, sorry if this sounds patronizing. I am a fairly you know plain speaking person with a fairly you know I don't read books much for fun. So you guys seem to read you know non-fiction for fun, and that's you know that's pretty weird to me. But um, yeah, yeah. Talk about your journey to where you got to and the steps along the way. So let, I, we should stop jumping around and do this in order. So Dave, where did you you know start with you know your fandom and and where that went from there? So I don't think it'll surprise anyone to hear that uh, Dave Walker's not my real name. I just borrowed from the phantom and this goes back to my uncle's near comprehensive collection of phantom comics from when i was six and every time we got to go and visit him i avoided all members of my family locked myself in that room and just read voraciously i don't think i've ever really stopped reading comics since you know there's something really charmingly beautiful uh, about comics that, that for me has always kind of held it up as a genre I found very kind of reaching into the the emotion and the imagination which books and movies can also do but not in the same sort of way for me and yeah it's just a bug I never shook so it was always sort of there as a an exciting thing to return to yeah okay so you're doing these Lazarus pieces um how do you first hear from Greg about them yeah, well, going back one step, like Comics Twitter, as you say, is a very small place. So we fell into writing reviews in the first place because um, there was kind of a call for material quickly by a, a guy called Dr. Travis Langley, who was very kind to just randomly accept spec pieces we sent in, put them up on the Internet. Um, and because we kept out of sync time-wise with all the people who worked on staff there at Nerdspan, we were always sending things in way too late to be edited. So we were given incredibly grand latitude in picking whatever topic we wanted to write about, and we picked whatever obscure thing came up of the day. Um, and we hit the first issue of Lazarus just because we thought it was a really interesting first issue, something really fun to just look at how it was put together and sort of the craft that went into it. And the plan was very much we would be done with that and go back on to our usual nonsense. Um, but then we read the second issue and decided we had a lot to say about that as well. And by about issue four, we'd really kind of fallen into the run of it being almost a regular column. Uh, and as you say, Twitter is a very small place. And so put out a piece reviewing a thing at length every week and it, I think it's probably pretty rare that the person who writes it won't at least know what's happening. So, yeah, um, we wrote out and asked Greg if we could interview him. He kindly said yes. Uh, we just did a, a very, very lengthy interview, um, the, the kind of thing that needed to get truncated way down to be printed. Um, and, yeah, we just kind of ran on from there. Yeah, at some point you 
took that from a fan relationship or journalist relationship uh, to a personal relationship. So uh, did that that happen in what? 2015 was that at uh, the Brisbane OzCon? Was that right? So uh, yeah, you're right. It was OCC 2015 that we we first met him personally, but we'd sort of gotten to know him a little bit before that. Uh, the truth of the matter is, you know, while I wouldn't ever necessarily discourage anybody from approaching a professional on social media, I wouldn't necessarily encourage it either. It's more, I think, jumping off on that interview, we'd crossed at some point, I don't even remember if it made print in the final subject, to the topic of role-playing games. I think it's in there briefly, where Greg talked about the fact that tabletop RPGs were something that he drew on heavily for Lazarus world-building. And we both did a fair amount of that online. So even before he'd come across to hang out with us, um, we had pitched that he should turn up for a TTRPG we were doing on the internet. And he very kindly, I think a little bit tentatively did, um, but having dipped his toe in, he sort of stuck around. So by 2015, we were all kind of talking to each other every couple of days, at least, with something needing to be updated. And that sort of made the desire to come over and hang out, I think, much more of a friendly one rather than a collaborator's piece. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I think it was at that con when I first met Greg, and uh, I first met you guys too, actually. Um, so we met in person. And I think I have the honour of being the first person to ask for your autograph on a comic, was that correct? You're also the first person to interview us, for better or worse. Oh, yeah, what? You've, yeah. you've hitched your wagon to this star. <laughs> um. <laughs> Great, I'll be able to borrow money from you in about 20 years. I remember at this con, someone brought up to Greg a role-playing thing that he had written, and it was, I believe, the very first thing that he'd had published. So he is a role-playing nerd from way back as well. Um, so you guys, you know, live and breathe and speak the same language as him. So, you know, it seems like a, uh, an easy friendship for all of you to fall into. Uh, so how did that change from, you know, just... Uh, doing fun things with him to your first contributions, which I think was the Lazarus source books. Is that right? Well, I, mean, I think there's a really simple answer to that, isn't that Greg and I can both be very angry people. Um, <laughs> so we'd, we'd still be putting up our thoughts on Lazarus, but then I'd be sending him emails saying, have you seen this terrible thing about the world? It, it seems about right for, for Lazarus. And then he'd be like, it does seem about right for Lazarus, but I, I have neither the time nor the inclination to, uh, you know, look down that deep nightmarish rabbit hole. Can you can you send me a quick summary? And quick summaries, he was already playing around with the idea of the source books. And so I think those kind of quick ideas and back and forths, um, you know, about what Australia might be like and uh, what dystopian nightmares capitalism can unleash upon us are uh, kind of congealed towards what might be in that first Carlisle source book. And so from those sorts of conversations that we'd been having, I think we were just kind of there when the opportunity presented. You know, while it is our first comics work, it's it's a very unusual piece of comics work. And since it's essentially faux journalism, it, it is much more like RPG writing in a way. Uh, it's a very unusual kind of first piece and not necessarily great training for things like working with artists in, in the more traditional fashion. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in my mind, Compass is your first, you know, real thing. So your names are on the cover. It's your story. Um, 
Yeah, you've uh, written the scripts and everything. It's, it's very impressive. Um, and I really enjoyed the first issue. Yeah, so a few years down the track, you're doing Compass now, and that says Greg Rucker Presents on the cover, and it has the, uh, the beautiful design aesthetic from Eric Troutman that goes into most of Greg's comics now. Yeah, how did Compass come about? So we had a project that we were doing... I mean, there's more to say about the conception of Compass, and I hope we'll circle back to that. But in terms of the immediate, why Compass, why now? Uh, we had another project that we were doing, which was a fantasy comic uh, with an Australian artist that was coming together. And as that was about to kind of break street date and go to publishers and figure out a bunch of other things, uh, a very similar piece by a much more established author-artist combo came out like so similar that we backpedaled on pitching it. We looked at this and went, we're just going to look very derivative in this market, notwithstanding, I mean, you'll know how long it takes for a comic to come together, but they would have been hitting around the same time with us slightly later. And we were like, no, this is not the thing. We'll mothball this for a little while. And Dave and I were both a little bit despondent and uh, we were talking to Greg about it and he went, well, what else have you got? What's a, a passion project for you? And Compass under a different name we'd been fiddling with since 2013 and we'd actually pitched it to another publisher who had sort of come close to it but had gone, you don't have any bona fides, we don't know who you are, um, you know, come back to us later on before we take on a full-scale miniseries from you. And in that time, uh, Greg had asked us, well, what would, would you like to do? What are you passionate about? And Compass came back fairly significantly with Avengers. Yeah, Compass is that kind of passion project that every time you're thinking, what should we work on now, it was always the first thing to come to both of our minds. Um, And it was one of those funny things where we kept putting it aside to do something else over and over again, but we always came back to it because it's just kind of those sorts of classic, fast-moving adventure stories. yeah, you know, mystery and history kind of ducktail stuff always being just something we've really loved. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The method between the two of us, insofar as we have one, is has been the same for our whole friendship, which is one of us will be thinking about something and they'll call the other one or we'll go to lunch or something and they'll say, I've been working on this. And the other one of us will invariably say, oh, that's good. You know what you should do? Blah, 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 blah. And it goes on from there. We sort of, of push each other on to, to fixing it up and workshopping it until it's how we both want it to be. Um, I remember the, the, the genesis of Compass, which isn't really secret, is uh, I was staying down here in Melbourne. We were both living up in Brisbane at the time, and I was, I was staying down here in Melbourne with my wife's family for a couple of days. At the time, the Disney... Indiana Jones acquisition announcement was made. So not that they're doing a sixth film, which they're notionally doing now, but that Disney had bought it with the intention of doing it, uh, you know, along with Star Wars, but the, with the intention of doing uh, new films, which I think was 2012 or 2013 or something. And I, I love those movies as, as, as Dave, but I sort of went, oh, Crystal Skull... Harrison Ford getting too old. You can't really... It feels wrong now to do somebody appropriating native artifacts to put in a Western museum for the enjoyment of people who want to slouch in for $15.95 and have a hot dog. Uh, What would it look like now to do it differently? How would you kind of dive into that style 
of adventure story in a way that's more abstracted from it. And that's where, where Shahi came from, Shahida El Amin, our protagonist for this. Uh, and I lay on a lazy Sunday morning in bed for about an hour. And then I texted Dave and went, I'm thinking about this. And he went, what you need is a rival. And immediately pitched back effectively fully formed um, Ling, who also appears in that first issue. And their dynamic is kind of the heart of that story. And then, yeah, we sat on it for about six or seven years, kind of circling it around until we had an opportunity to really put it together properly and let it be something we wanted it to be. And then you set it in Wales? Yep. Scenic Wales. I mean, that's really at the core of one of the things that Compass is about, right, which is that it's a big world and culture is complicated and, you know, what is civilised and what is sophisticated and what is scholarly is is always moving and always depends on where you stand, you know. Uh, Wales, England, you know, we, we tend to look at them as the core of the, um, you know, King Solomon's Mines, you know, adventurer heading out. But that's both something that's, that's always been kind of contingent and it's always been a sort of self-importance. Um, and so, you know, sending someone to Wales, uh, to look at that frigid swamp, as, as Ling describes it, has always been at the, the heart of where it is to, you know, begin to pick apart what's good about cultural exchange and what's good about exploring our history and the way the world works versus what's, you know, arrogance. Plus, you know, Wales is pretty. So as well as having, you know, a different type of protagonist and a, a great new type of setting, uh, you've got all these the classic tropes of, you know, traps and treasures and um, people racing to get things and betrayal and, you know, people offing their henchmen when they disappoint them. So, yeah, there's all, there's all that sort of stuff along with it. So it was it's a great read and I was really, you know, enjoyed it. And then at the back there's the text piece and there's a lot of pieces by uh, Justin Greenwood talking about how the art came together and, and cover design and things like that so how did you get justin so he's off Stumptown. that's where most people would know him from working with greg well that's the when, the, the secret to greg rucker presents is that there's no title in comics for executive producer and that is effectively what greg's function on this was in that we already knew eric pretty well because we'd done the source books with him and also because we pal around with him a bit in terms of design but we didn't know justin until greg went this is a project that we need to get in front of justin it fits his sensibilities down to a t and we sent him five or six pages of what was then an unbroken script just the bit that we'd put together when we were initially looking at pitching it to go this is how it and that's effectively the opening that you've now read give or take and justin came back to us not only with thoughts, but with like preliminary designs and concept sketches and was just all in from the get go, which was really an honor because of the three co-creators of the book, one of them is much more established than the other two. <laughs> and, you know, he really picked that up and just ran with it. He was excited to do it. And, you know, we, we've been honored by that and very lucky. And Greg put us in touch with Alejandro, who's our editor on an official basis and sort of, acts as a mentor, consigliere sort of 
figure and occasionally shoots us down when we go too far into a tangent or beefs us up when we're shying away from something. And that's the essence of, of putting together a team of, of people who otherwise in Australia, I don't think we get a good chance to get to know intimately, particularly in the, the midst of a global pandemic and whatnot, to kind of go, look, this is worth exploring and getting involved with. And then once you build the team, you build the product. And once you build the product, you can interest the publishers and it kind of goes from there. I I listen to a lot of podcasts about things coming up. So uh, it's, you know, mostly about final order cutoff and what's going to be, you know, prospective investment for people. And I I keep hearing mention of Compass and they keep going, oh, it's by... Walker and Mackenzie, oh, just Justin Greenwood, and they seem very reassured by that. But they, it's been interesting because I know exactly who you guys are, but I'm pretty sure you know most of the comic world have no idea who you both are. Um, so your partnership, do you see yourself writing together, or do you think you'll um, break away from each other at some point? I mean, do we need to give you a benefit name, do we, like uh, Walkenzie? I was thinking, or we've always used Walkenzie. You, you've just put uh, Robert on the spot now. Um, you know, he, he may have to break up with me on air. Divorce papers have no. Um. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, the thing is, we've both got uh, dreary but uh, bill-paying day jobs and uh, families and so on. And so, you know, part of the the pact, if you will, is that between us, we make one capable and responsive writer instead of you know half of one apiece uh as as he mentioned before you know we we build on each other's ideas and you know between us i think we have a fused sensibility that is in my mind uh, a better writer's voice than either of us have alone uh that's just me speaking yeah well i I mean i very much i understand doing a endeavor with someone you know and you trust because it's it's you know, you've got someone who you can do it together with, and it's far less scary when you have a friend and you're stepping out on the same path. Um, yeah, do you, do you find an element of that? Yes. I mean, so part of it is is that there comes a point, I think this is true for a lot of co-writers, but it's certainly true of us, is that we pass drafts back and forth. There isn't a bit that's a Dave bit and a bit that's a Robert bit and a, a neat passing of the baton. If we come back to a project six months later, I could not tell you, hell, a month later, I could not tell you from the drop who who wrote what bit of it. You know, the, the, the merged voice is such that the level of differentiation in existing projects is effectively nilled. And for that reason, yes, it's comforting, but it's also... Second nature, like even second nature is not right. There's there's a quote that we bandy around all the time um, from Rosencrantz and Guildenstone are dead, which is don't you differentiate at all because they constantly refer to each other by each other's names, and we're not quite that codependent. But you know, we 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 rise or fall as one. So there's very, I, I don't even think of him as the second person anymore so much. It's just a a vague reflection for my own thoughts, and vice versa. I have no doubt. You're like Zaphod Beeblebrox with the two heads. Yes, exactly. That's a great, great metaphor for it, in that he commits a number of crimes that get me into... No, I'm, I'm just... <laughs> yeah. um, you know, it, it's exactly like that, is, or at least for me. is You know, I just can't imagine... Conceptually, I can see how it could be done solo, but it just feels like such a waste of my own resources to sort of cut myself off at the knees. <laughs> yeah, yeah, so... Just swinging back to talk about Justin, you, know, we, you mentioned Stumptown, which is, 
obviously a wonderful piece of work of his. But, you know, he's obviously also worked on a bunch of other historical pieces like uh, The Last Siege and just the dynamism that he brings to to action in those historical pieces and, and, you know, the beauty he brings to historical landscapes were one of those things that really brought Compass together. You know, you write the first issue uh, and it's... You know, something you send off and then you bounce back and forward between you and the artist as the ideas come together. Um, but from then on, you know, you mentioned that we're uh, talky guys who like big words. Um, anyone who's got this far into the interviews probably just picked up from listening to us that, that we can be uh, overly uh, chatty. Uh, but working with Justin, we we're always able to uh, find with him uh, a core of kind of the action, the adventure, uh, and you know, his sensibilities pushed us to uh, places, action scenes, sort of a, a real movement that I don't know if we would have gone to by ourselves. And I think it really worked for the comic. Uh, sort of a show, not tell. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, and that's something it's really easy to lean into when show means kind of looking at this stuff through Justin's eyes. You know, I don't want to give spoilers for future issues, but even in the the first issue, there's just a bunch of cool set pieces, like, you know, even the, the you know, abandoned castle on the first page, where when that kind of landed in our inbox, I opened it up and I went, wow, that is a lot cooler than the one that was in my head. <laughs> and um, so Compass is five issues, right? Five? That's the plan for at least this first volume. Yeah, so that's... this story of the Cauldron of Rebirth is, is five, and then if the public demand more, write your Congress people, we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll be back. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to, you know, seeing the five issues come out and seeing a trade eventually and, you know, hopefully another season because, uh, yeah, it, it looks like something I think that's going to catch on. So you've also breaking into comics twice this month because you've got a Old Guard Tales Through Time comic coming out. So can you tell us about that one? So if it's nerve-wracking to have... Greg's name presenting above ours. It's doubly nerve-wracking to have his name presenting above ours, writing characters he's already written, immediately following Bendis. That's, it's the Bendis-Omeg reunion. It's like friggin', you know, Simon and Garfunkel get back together for one night only, and then you're kind of opening for that, although we've got to follow, which is even worse. <laughs> we play outro music while people walk away, but, you know, it's exciting time. So which character are you dealing with, uh, and which time period? So for characters, you know, Greg said, yeah, yeah, who would you like to write? And I immediately said, all of them, please. <laughs> so we've got nearly the entire band together um, for, for what we're doing. Yeah, no Nile, because the time period is very specific. It's 20th of July, 1969. Oh, wow. July 20th, 1969, some people may recognise as the date of the moon landing. Um, and one of the genesis of this story is, is Dave and I both thinking about what would actually feel new to somebody who was 5,000 years old. What would be different enough that, unlike everything else, kind of blurring together it might cause them to stop in their tracks. And how would you approach a question like that? And that was the genesis of a lot of what we were doing. And then we tried to think about how that would react or, or interact with the level of existential ennui that the old guard kind of suffer under. And then Dave had a very, very exciting pitch for what they otherwise might be doing at the time. Those stories kind of blended together as we went to give us the... 12 pages that we've got in Old Guard 3. And who's your artist with that? 
Justin again. Um, this was distinctly the, the the family band hanging out. I should say also that um, Daniela coloured it again, and we didn't mention Daniela in terms of, of compass, but again, we'd be lost without her too because there's a dynamic sensibility that is brought to that that we really needed. But this is distinctly the, the family band did a B-side for the old guard, and they were kind enough to sneak it in on the album. Um, if you like this work in the old guard, you could read compass. Yeah. Um, yeah, I I love immortal stories. Um, this is uh, a great weakness of mine. Um, and I particularly love Dracula. Uh, and I've spent way, 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 way too many hours of my life sitting around thinking about Dracula, thinking about train timetables um, and, and what it must be like to be a vampire sitting there in Transylvania imagining London and trains and phonograms and records. Uh, and so, you know, getting a chance to kind of take that lens to to Greg's wonderful take on, on people who live forever was yeah, something that I was incredibly excited to do. Um you know, we, we just very much enjoy that sort of stuff. Mm, yeah, I mean in my lifetime alone, I mean I've seen you know, I remember going to a friend's house because they had colour TV and it was brand new and, you know, that sort of excitement and so yeah the advent of space travel would be amazing to you know, someone who's been around for a long, long time. Yeah, kids today, they don't know what it's like, do they? With their TikToks. Well, you know. There's something. You're right there. Yeah, we, we missed the opportunity to do, you know, um, first social media hit, new TikTok. Actually, there'd, there'd be a great story. It's too late. We'll close this up. You're hanging me on it now. I'd love to do the first cell phone because that, you know, I, I think a lot about... I also remember vaguely the advent of colour television, though not terribly well. But I do remember with a great passion and to a degree frustration when I go back and watch reruns and things now, the point at which the ubiquity of everybody having a mobile phone changed the plot of every thriller and dramatic TV show because nobody misses a call now. There's no fateful answering machine message. or <laughs> like you, you could build it in with a bunch of artificial devices if you need to. But there was a tipping point in the manufacture of dramas and thrillers where suddenly everybody could talk to every other character at any point they wanted to. And you think about that in the context of over the course of a several hundred to several thousand year lifespan, the gap between no phones to phones to cell phones to cell phones with a computer in them is effectively nil dot. There's a a study that was done a little while ago that says that kids under a certain age, I think it's about kids, he says, sort of sarcastic. I think anybody who's born after the year 2000, so they're 21 now, whatever it is, so kids is a term of art at best, will never have the same experience of being completely lost as people who grew up before their era do because everybody's used to having a map in their pocket or being able to find somebody with a map in their pocket. And that... You know, you think about characters who would have started where the entire known world was this hill and the patch of trees on the other side of it and the place where the good wild boar are to eat, getting to actually know there's a map in your pocket that can show you satellite images of exactly what's happening at any point on the world right now. Yeah. You know, it, it's epochal. That's the great virtue of stories like this. That's That's the great virtue of what Greg is doing with the old guard overall is if you actually go know all of history condenses down into a single lifetime, 
you know, I've forgotten enough stuff, you know, my short life, as I'm sure we all have, that trying to figure out what would become the greatest hits of human history is really wild and interesting to me. <laughs> yeah. I mean, my first car, uh, my parents gave me a Gregory's as soon as I got it, so I could look up the streets of where I was going and things. And Yeah, that's something that... Uh, would be a massive change now because we all have these phones and uh, we can all get bad news from across the planet at any time <laughs> semi-constantly <laughs> well um thanks guys thanks i wish you all the best with the launch um, i hope it's really successful for you um i hope you become you know rock stars of comicdom in the future and uh yeah i could say i was there then at the start and uh yeah that will reflected glory on me would be nice so yeah uh, thanks very much for this chat really appreciate it and all the best and i want everyone to look out for compass on the 16th of june uh, from image comics uh ask for it by name and uh tales of the old guard when's that one coming up god i want to say the 21st but we might need to edit around this so i can do a clean take <laughs> <laughs> um dave do you know i'm just googling for nope. <laughs> i think it might be um, the same day hang on yeah, April 21st. April 20, July 20, June. June it's 23rd. June 21st. June yeah. 23rd. There you go. Sorry. <clears throat> oh, uh, All God Tales Through Time number three is hitting on June 23rd. Uh, Diamond order code April 210319, though I believe pre-orders are closed. I got mine pre-ordered. Nice. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, good luck with this podcast as well hopefully yeah. it gets huge and we can say hey check it out where the people yeah. on episode one on the pilot um if people want to follow you guys on uh, twitter um and enjoy your thoughts uh how can they do that so robert what's your twitter handle uh it's at robert rambles r-o-b-e-r-t uh, r-a-m-b-l-e-s uh or just find robert mckenzie and find the one with all the the compass stuff in his bio and that'll be me and please say hi <laughs> Sure. And Dave? Uh, at Professor Just. So, at Professor underscore Just. Uh, again, or you can search Walker and find the one that is called Professor Just. Thank you so much for having us on. Uh, thanks very much. Have a good evening. Thank you very Thank much. Thank you. you Cheers. Right, bye. bye.